Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Mark We sure do. Uh, it's episode 245 of Mark and Sarah Talk About Songs. I do enjoy those uh, occasional times when the number of the episode contains a kind of record, as it does today. Oh. I'm your co-host, Sarah DeBunting. I am here, as always, with the span flandiferous Mark Blankenship. Hello, Mark. I look forward to episode 780 so that we can have a 78. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, yes. Hello, indeed. Sarah, and hello, listeners. Today is an episode in the number five, which tends to be the time when we do something a little unusual, a little outside the box. Uh, in previous episodes, ending with the number five, we have ranked argumentative duets. We have ranked songs with dubious heroes. Today, we are going to be ranking songs in which the artist sings about how hard it is to be famous, a genre that has a perpetual stream of songs coming into it, it every does. day. I mean, People always have some time to talk about how hard it is to be Uh-huh, famous. evergreen, for sure. So we're going to be ranking nine songs today. They are, in alphabetical order by title, Drowned World slash Substitute for Love by Madonna, The Entertainer by William Joel, his friends call him Billy, Everything I Wanted by a different Billy, Eilish, Falling Down by Selena Gomez and The Scene, Leave Me Alone by Michael Jackson, Lucky by Britney Spears, Mo Money, Mo Problems by the Notorious B.I.G. and a cast of idiots, uh, Rumors by Lizzo featuring Cardi B, and Turn the Page by Bob Seger and the Silver Bullet Band. Uh, One of the things I'll just say up front, Sarah, I like this group of songs because they demonstrate that every decade and every genre has a song about how hard it is to be famous. Yeah, at least one. At least one. Um, Before I get into explaining how... uh, how the ranking episodes work arithmetically. Uh, let me note that you might be wondering to yourself, self, why didn't they include Freedom 90 or Wanted Dead or Alive by George Michael and Bon Jovi, respectively? Well, that's because we've already talked about those songs in previous episodes, standalones. Uh, please go back in the catalog and enjoy those. But we thought that we should just treat with new songs to us, songs that we hadn't really talked about before. Although there have been many references in the past to Drowned World, I think we will get into it. Now, here's how <laughs> the math works. We rank the songs in the order, uh, usually album order. This time it's alphabetical order. Uh, and each one receives a point value based on where we've ranked it. There's nine songs this time. So the number one song will receive nine points. The number two will receive eight points, etc., and so on. I assign points. Mark assigns points, and our Patreon patrons helped us rank these songs as well. All of these numbers will be combined, and at the end, we will determine who has the hardest time being famous slash let us have the best time listening to how hard it is for them to be famous, and who's just a complaining jackass. Have I missed anything? Uh, no, I think you've actually hit it perfectly because the complaining jackass could actually be the subtitle of this entire project Mm -hmm. (laughs) this week. (laughs) Hashtag rich people problems. Um, all right. Well, shall we begin then with our first song, longest title winner, Drowned World slash Substitute for Love? Yes. You know, I'm so glad that we're finally giving ourselves a chance to talk about a Madonna song on this show. (gasps) I love that we make the same joke every time, too. (laughs) I know. <laughs> this is roughly number song number 87 by Madonna that we've discussed on this program. <laughs> Se- seems low. Seems low. Um yeah, so this do you have any um do you have any f- chart facts to impart because we do have a clip to to lead us off. This is the opening track from her Ray of Light album. It was not released in America as a single, but it was released as a single in the United Kingdom where it peaked at number 10. Huh. Well, we'll see where it peaks on our charts, but first, here's a clip. I apologize for the length of this, but I wanted to, A, try to get in everything that uh, Madge was doing, and B, specifically try to get in. Uh, Listeners, return with us now to those 
pretentious days of yesteryear when Madonna was trying it with a British accent. Here's a clip. Without a second thought, it all became a silly game. Some things cannot be bought. I got exactly what I asked for, wanted it so badly. Running, rushing back for more. I suffered fools so gladly. Oh God, shit! This is this is terrible. The Madonna British accent was terrible. Um, I like what she's doing in the song structurally to reflect the content. Mm-hmm. I think it's an interesting song, especially to lead an album, mm-hmm. because I think that she is going through something in the lyrics that is sincere. But at the same time, I think she does choose fame as her like emotional language and does not regret it and shouldn't because that's who she is. Um, I like the way the processed sound surrounds her like a shell, but at the same time sends up the idea that Madonna has a truly vulnerable soft center because, uh, you know, bless her heart, but I don't really... I don't really feel that that's true. I feel like she's talking here about how the world wants that to be true because she's a woman artist. Mm-hmm. But she's like, you know what? I got this. I've always had this. Like, just this is who I am. Step off. Stop expecting me to be this Harlequin romance idea of, of you know, a Malamar personality. With that said, and I don't hate the song. It's in last place for me of these songs. Yeah, I get it. Because I skip over it every time when I'm listening to this album because I'm just like impatient. Like I respect what it's trying to do, but there's so many better songs of hers I'd rather be listening to that I'm like, okay, like duly noted, you've received credit on this assignment next. So sorry, girl, one point. I agree with you on so many levels here. Uh, For one thing, Yes, this song is a really bold way to open an album mm-hmm. because it's five minutes long. It has movements. The mm-hmm. end of the song does not sound like the beginning of the song. Yeah. Um, she's in fine vocal fettel. Uh, yep. This is the album True. that she famously made after those years of Evita vocal training. So mm-hmm. she sounds good on yep. the album. But it's just a turgid song. Yeah, it is. It's an exercise, like, it's, I feel. Yeah, it's it's fine, and I do like the end of the song when she gets that crescendo where her voice gets bigger at the bridge and the drums start crashing in. There's an intelligence to the way that this song is made, but you just saying it's an exercise and also referring to it as an assignment really does reflect how I <laughs> yeah. feel about listening to it. Yeah, yes, yes. It's like Madonna has indicated that she is capable of creating a sophisticated song Thank you. I will now skip ahead to Ray of Light. Yeah. Well, and also, there's nothing unsophisticated about anything else she's ever done. Like, Dress You Up might not be fine vocal fiddle for anyone, but it's, I mean, it is sophisticated songcraft. It gets done what it needs to do, so. Totally. I mean, same, like, Causing a Commotion may not be the most brilliant lyric, but that song is hot, and it's very sophisticated. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, uh, let me also say this is a good time to remind our listeners, if you haven't yet read it, Sarah and I wrote a book about Madonna called Madonna A to Z, and you can find that at MarkAndSarahTalkAboutSongs.com. That's MarkAndSarahTalkAboutSongs.com. Go buy it and see what we've got to say about this old broad. Yeah, it's fun, um, and it fits in a jeans pocket. You're welcome. So I'm going to agree with your ranking, too. I I put it in seventh place with three mm-hmm. points, but... You know, ask me tomorrow, and that would have bounced around. The, the bottom third of this c- countdown for or this uh, episode for me is was in flux a lot, but certainly Same. this is not one of my top hits. Mm. Yeah, me neither. 
So I put it in seventh and gave it three points, as did the patrons. So we're all essentially aligned on this here track. That is fascinating. I really thought that um, there would be some kind of virtual fight with knives about this, but I'm I'm glad I spoke my truth and that it um, was a <laughs> shared truth up to a point. Um, that, Indeed. That's not I to say I also just want to note, there are like 300 songs by Madonna alone about how difficult it is to be famous. And we could have done a whole episode of just her songs, like uh, Gone, I Deserve It, Nobody Knows Me. Mm-hmm. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Yeah, it does. Next on our list is a song, Sarah, that you asked to be included, if I'm remembering correctly. I did, and then I didn't clip it. Um, who's a complaining jackass now? It's always me. Um <laughs> So this is The Entertainer by William Joel. I mostly didn't clip it because I, for one, didn't even need to re-listen to it. I listened to the song conservatively three times a week during various old lady walks, so didn't really need to review it. Listen to it again anyway because I love it. Um, Is it good? Well, I also didn't clip it because I feel like everybody basically knows the song. Um... A lot of the sound is like pretty, it's pretty Billy Joel, mid 70s, kind of dated. It is pretty self-pitying. But in spite of the like too much lyrics and that you wouldn't believe all the paperwork about that he's saying about being a rock star, it is a great build. Like in this period, he was doing a lot of like start with a very simple line come in with the lyrics, then there's another instrument. And by the end, you have like an entire orchestra pit wailing away. I enjoy that about him. Um, I will note that famous lyric, like you got to cut it down to 305. The song is three minutes and 41 seconds. Like, buddy, <laughs> that that W was right there. Why didn't you just take it? Why did you cut it down <laughs> to 305? But it does have some sense of humor about itself. Um, anyone who has had to integrate their artistic life's work to date into a corporate environment will find something to relate to here. Um, and I, uh, not that anyone on this podcast could relate to that. I, I have no idea. Like, look, I've sold out and I would do it again, but it, you know, <laughs> there's, there's paperwork with that. Um, I just love this song. And have always loved it outside of its relative quality. And it is my number one. Nine Ooh, points. Bold. Well, Sarah, once again, as has happened before, the gulf between your Billy Joel experience and mine uh, is wide. <laughs> because I had never heard this song before until we really? prepared for this episode. That yeah. is like... Once again, it's like, this is like my sister-in-law managing not to have seen any of the original Star Wars movies until like 2004. Like, how do you even do that? It's hard to do. Yeah, I think, again, as I think we've discussed before, in the South, Billy Joel just wasn't that big of a deal. Yeah, fair. Like, he was just like a guy with some hits, but he was not, at least in my growing up experience, someone that anyone gave that much of a shit about. Well, and stuff from this album, uh, Street Life Serenade, which has um, a handful of outstanding songs and then just as many that are complete dog shit, like to the point where I kicked them out of my Apple Music catalog because I was like, don't, don't try, don't miss me with Roberta, okay? (laughs) But I feel like this album didn't start, I didn't hear a lot of it until it became an oldies album. I feel like, mm. like we, I think we owned it in our, in our home, but it wasn't, it didn't get as much radio play sort of when I was a kid, as much as like Innocent Man or Alan Ta- or Nylon Curtain, sorry. So like these songs were sort of new to me also. Um, but once I heard The Entertainer, I was off to the races. And I think that was like in the nineties sometime. Anyway. Yeah. So, I mean, Again, as has I've gone on the record on this show before saying, I, I don't, I could take or leave Billy Joel, honestly. Uh-huh. That said, I actually really like this song. Huh. And was it was not unlike my experience of sleeping with the television on, which you introduced me mm-hmm. to many moons ago. Um, I think this song is really enjoyable. I'm very impressed by 
how much he gets across in the lyrics. Like, it's interesting to hear you call them the too muchness lyrics, because to me, I was just really surprised and uh, entertained by how complicated and detailed the story is mm-hmm. in this um, in this song. I'm also shocked that he was this angry and cynical in 1974. Like, he had barely released any albums. Yeah. This was like his second or third one. And then there's a song and, on here also about Los Angeles, which is, I mean, I think he thinks it's scathing. It's actually just sort of sad. <laughs> right. In that New York versus L.A. in the 70s way. But yeah, this is um, We Didn't Start the Fire, Mark One, and Good. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I also and love I, that I re- song, but I'm not a, you know, it's not good. I just love it. But I really especially love the verse, I am the entertainer, been all around the world. I've played all kinds of palaces and laid all kinds of girls. I can't remember faces. I don't remember names. Ah, but what the hell? You know, it's just as well. Because after a while and a thousand miles, it all becomes the it same. It all becomes the same. What a, what a beautifully succinct and potent evocation of the empty hedonism of life on the road. Yeah. Yeah. And there's some like internal rhyme and structuring there too that is is advanced and yet yes. it's sort of like this driving like it's a good song to walk to too. Like, you know, he's not so, famous for no reason. <laughs> exactly. It turns out that he's really like my lack of passion for him is allows me to keep being surprised when I hear songs like this and I think god this is really good. <laughs> turns out yeah. Billy Joel can sell out Madison Square Garden every week of the year for a reason. Yeah. <laughs> It it sometimes can be a head scratcher even to his fans, but it's like okay, yeah, I I see you. You know how to do this. So where'd you rank so, it? So I put this in third place. Wow, I thought yeah, that you were going to be like eleventh. This is absurd. Interesting. Been, let me let me tell you, I shocked myself a lot as we go through. Uh, mm, I, me too. But we'll get to it. Uh, so I put it in third place, which gives it seven points from me, and the patrons put it in fourth place, which gives it six points from them. Huh. Okay. Yeah. All now, right. From from one Billy to the next, uh, Billy Eilish, who won the Grammy for Record of the Year with the song Everything I Wanted just this year, uh, 2021, if you're listening as we drop this episode. And this single peaked at number eight. It is not on any album. It was released as a standalone single, but it did quite well for itself. It was in the top 10 for many weeks. Uh, even though it didn't go higher than eight, it still hung around in those lower rungs for quite a while. Uh, Sarah, I believe we do have a clip of this song, if I'm not mistaken. We do. Let's hear it now. I tried to scream. But my head was underwater They called me weak Like I'm not just somebody's daughter It could have been a nightmare But it felt like they were right there And it feels like yesterday was a year ago I don't recall having heard this song before, and I was ensorcelled by it. Uh, And uh, also, and this is part of like my thing with Billie Eilish is sort of your thing with Billy Joel, that it's like, if she impresses me, that's great, but it's not usually for me. Like, it's all a little performatively disaffected for me sometimes. But there was something about First of all, that this is like Phoebe Bridgers, but with hand claps, like this particular song. (laughs) It's like Phantom Casio. Um, And like that, that'll work. Didn't she have a, didn't she have a burlesque number down on, uh, on Avenue B? (laughs) She did. But there's something about the timing of this too, like the cultural conversation that I think we've been having for the last year, um, sort of centering around Naomi Osaka and Simone Biles and um, just the the need, not just for um, entertainers and performers to serve, so to say, and whether we mm. need to realign our thinking on that, but particularly this feeling that 
I, I think a lot of women and girls have, um, that if we admit that we're struggling, then we'll be dismissed forever as girls. Like, mm. could, you know, not as good as, tough as men. And why is there that binary? Um, mm-hmm. And why don't we just all link arms with everyone that we can and be like, this shit is hard. And especially in a, in a song like this, where what you're talking about is the expectations of fame and that she's like, look, I got people who count on me and I can't just be like, I'm exhausted and I need to, I need to go down the shore. So, um, this really spoke to me. Um, and her typically like, not academic, but there is like a somewhat distanced from emotional content emotionally. Mm-hmm. That really works here. This is a very, this is a lovely song to listen to. It's um, steeped in rue, as Dr. Cole said about uh, The Great Gatsby, but with a with that beat coming in, that's like the contrast between the beginning when she's, it's a very sort of naked arrangement. And then there's this processing that comes into it and it points up the contrast between the, you know, the art, the artistic self and the received, the received product um, in a way that I think is uh, visceral as well as very intelligent. Maybe I ranked this wrong, but I ranked it pretty high. It's my number two. Well done, Ms. Eilish. Take that Grammy and uh, give it a kiss for me. I love it. And the Billy is doing very well for mm-hmm. you in this countdown. Uh, so, yeah, I agree with you that typically a Billy Eilish song makes me go, I'm glad that the kids enjoy this. I don't get it. <laughs> uh-huh. I, I am too old for this is, is the way I feel when I listen to most of her songs, with the exception of Bad Guy, mm-hmm. uh, which is a song that I really enjoy. We've and talked about it. the song um, Therefore I Am, which is a song with a beat that I like. And then perhaps surprisingly, I also like this song. Uh, it is very much in the Phoebe Bridgers lane, which you know is typically not my lane. Uh-huh. But this is the song that this is the type of song that was meant for headphones. Yes. And like if you're just listening to it as you're walking around the city, I feel like it's hard to grasp what's happening in it because it's such a subtle work of art but if mm-hmm. you are quiet and you give yourself over to it even in the clip you just pulled there's so many interesting little soundscape things happening that i find very compelling and i think i i might be wrong but i've always interpreted the person in the song that she's singing about who is there for her as being not a lover but her brother phineas who is her producer mm-hmm And I don't know if that's just a narrative that I've invented for myself, but I like it. I like the idea that it's a song about siblings taking care of each other Mm -hmm. in the face of fame, which is just this crazy fucking place. Right. So I find that it's like one of the few Billie Eilish songs that because I hear that in it has some sort of emotional accessibility. Yeah. And uh, because you're so right that most of the time it's like feeling things is uncool. (laughs) Yeah, it or it's be. like recollect uh, emotion recollected in tranquility, but like this is too much tranquility and too much recollecting yes. and not enough emotion, which is fine, and that's her brand, I guess. But that that it can crack, or that she can leverage it like this for an occasional moment of genuine feeling is cool. Good for her. Yeah. Now, that being said, there's only so far that I can go down the Billie Eilish road. So (laughs) it's still only my number six. But for me, that's actually a really high score for a song like this. Yeah. (laughs) I I mean, I was shocked it wasn't last for me. So I totally get it. Um, So again, I guess the Grammys, they got it right. Uh, Sixth place from me, sixth place from the patrons, second place from you. So a solid performance by Madame Eilish. All right. Now, next we have a song that you chose to include on this countdown, Falling Down by Selena Gomez and the Scene. And I have to say, Sarah, I am very curious to know how you came to know this particular song. Um, I am so enjoying 
Selena on Only Murders in the Building and um, sort of went down a mini rabbit hole with her, like, you know, Disney product, basically. And so especially since she's been pretty open about her struggles um, with, you know, just mood disorders and stuff, I thought that this would be a good one to include especially as a compare and contrast with uh Brittany and Lucky later in our later in our episode. And uh I hadn't heard this one before uh to my knowledge before I went down this like Selena um path on Apple Music, but um you know, it's it's fine and fun and uh as exhortations to keep it real go, it's a perfectly crafted Disney product. Um, I wanted to like it a little more than I did um, mm-hmm. because I think that she, as an artist, has a lot of new things to show us and we're not quite there yet, maybe. Um, I have been, again, very impressed with her on Only Murders in the Building on her and on her ability to balance um a a humor and also a um like this is a this is a person who carries grief around this character but she doesn't like her touch is very light with that so you kind of want this song to be better but it's from like 15 years ago so you you know it is what it is it's like old school Hannah Montana shit that said i i like Hannah Montana songs <laughs> Because I'm a very strange person who contains multitudes. So this was my number four, six points. Nice. So I also do quite like uh, several Selena Gomez songs. Uh, There's a song called Bad Liar that's really good. Mm -hmm. Uh, Lose You to Love Me is a good song. This song is perfectly fine at being an assembly line product. And (laughs) as anyone who has listened to this show for more than 15 seconds knows... I've got no kick with songs that came off the assembly line. <laughs> Meaning sometimes they're just what I want. Yeah. But for me, because we do have some other assembly line songs coming down the pike later in this episode that I think are well, spoiler transcendent. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. Uh, I feel like this one can only pale in comparison. And while I find it perfectly fine, I don't find it very memorable. So I put it in eighth place with two points. Interesting. Oh boy. Well, it looks like the knife fight might, uh, might happen I, after all. What those blades, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> um, so <laughs> that's two points for me. And I'm assuming that the patrons just didn't know this song. And that often tends to work against tracks in our countdown or ranking episodes. So they put it in last place with one point. That's fair. And I fully, acknowledge and embrace in fact um uh, that my um my selena gomez experience uh of late in a completely different medium it definitely gave this a boost that it probably didn't deserve but that's why we rank the episodes who can say i love it i yeah to me those idiosyncrasies are the point and i have not yet started to watch only murders in the building but i am definitely going to watch after Next week, uh, when my job goes from being uh, a whirlwind of insanity to being a thing that a normal person can handle. So I look forward <laughs> to watching that show soon. It, I really am looking forward to your thoughts. Um, I think you will really like it. I was surprised to, to bond with it the way I did. But mm. yeah. Anyway. <clears throat> yeah, I read something uh, uh, recently about how it has become one of the stealth breakout hits of the season, which brought me joy just to know. Yeah, and it's kind of all all different, at least sort of in my sphere, all different kinds of TV critics with different tastes, sort of like me, going into it arms folded, and then by the end of it being like, huh, because it doesn't exactly always do what you expect. So mm. anyway, uh, listeners, first of all, watch it. Let us know what you think, and let us know if you think Mark will like it. I think he will. I suspect I will. And this is a great time to remind you, I think I've told you this before, that the weirdest moment of sexual attraction I've ever had to a celebrity was Martin Short in the movie Captain Ron. Okay. 
Oh my god! I don't think I knew that before. So you're actually minding me for the, I, I, for yeah. the very first time. <laughs> I couldn't have been more than 14, and I just remember simultaneously thinking, "I find him very sexy in this moment," and I don't know how to feel about that because that's weird. <laughs> hey, look, Steve <laughs> Martin and Roxanne. I still would, and that oh, fake nose is horrible. Yes. Yeah. Anyway, um, okay. So next we have a song that I wanted to include it's leave me alone by the late michael jackson speaking of dramatic noses (sighs) (laughs) seriously um this is a song that on its face is not really about the difficulties of fame it's about some woman okay Uh who won't uh leave michael jackson alone but the music video is what makes this song i think appropriate for this countdown because Sarah, i don't know if you remember the music video but it features him in an amusement park yes going in a little bumper car surrounded by tabloid stories about himself yes there i mean it's an excellent video it's very sort of sledgehammer in like i don't know feel (laughs) just yeah yeah, that animation um yeah we don't have a clip but like i assume everybody basically knows this song uh the and i thought about clipping it but then i did a little reading about the song and sort of found some quotes from people that get at my frustration with the song Mm -hmm. but i would say the video like without the video the song doesn't quite go for me Mm -hmm. and i have always felt this way that like the opening chords are like this is going to be a great song but as as the song continues you just keep waiting for it to like go there and it can't Mm -hmm. like i don't know it just feels like a exhausted homage to other better songs in his catalog and in rolling stone j edward keys called it a darker inversion of the way you make me feel um which i think is right on um but the way you make me feel i don't know like that that vocal is better that song is better because that song commits to what it's about Mm -hmm. this needs to be either more plaintive or more angry but it can't decide whether it's pissed off or scared and then it never quite takes off as a result and there are some moments in there where there is like like genuine wailing at his plight but it also lands extremely differently now that you you know once you understand that one of the things he wanted attention taken off of was his felonious relationships with children so i can't i don't know i can't grade this one on a curve because it wants things it shouldn't want and it doesn't want the things it should want and it just doesn't go so this is a seventh for me three points yeah seventh place uh yes three points from you and well said across the board i thought that i liked this song because as is so often the case for songs from the 80s i confused familiarity with affection mm-hmm. sure and to think that the album that contains this song also contains as you said the way you make me feel and the exceptional smooth criminal yeah is it's startling to think that this song was allowed on the same album frankly yeah to me because because smooth criminal is actually sinister in yeah. a way that this song isn't and the way you make me feel is actually horny in a way that this song isn't and i agree with you it's, it has this neither here nor there quality and it michael jackson by this point, and definitely as he went further in his career, was guilty of making songs that were so heavy, they were leaden. Mm-hmm. And songs like Blood on the Dance Floor and They Don't Care About Us, and it just the more insular and paranoid he got, the harder the songs ca- became to enjoy, if you ask me. Yeah. So for me, if it weren't for the music video, this song would be a complete forgetter. Uh, a nothing burger and I put it in ninth place because like you, I also can't forget the context of Michael Jackson now. Yeah. Yeah. Alas. So that's seventh from you ninth from me and in between us in eighth place is where the patrons put it. So, uh, not a great scoring day for Michael Jackson. No. 
Now, next, Sarah, we have Lucky by Britney Spears, and I pulled a clip from this. So before I dive into my thesis on this song, let's give it a listen. Oh, okay. Look, this song is ludicrous. It is it is a ridiculous song. It opens with Britney Spears saying, this is a story about a girl called Lucky. And then in the middle, there is a spoken word section from a fake award show. Oh, where Lucky w- pop news. Wins a prize. Okay. <laughs> Mike it's Hunt, on par. pop news. Just kidding. It's not Mike Hunt. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, Amanda Huggenkiss reporting. IP Freely, Bureau Chief. <laughs> it is on par with the monologue from the song Oops, I Did It Again, also uh-huh. on this album, where the guy's like, I went down to the bottom of the ocean and got it for you, babe. <laughs> um, but what I hear, this song has uh, a magical power over me that I don't try to explain or understand. I just accept. One thing I like about it is that it is a not about Britney Spears herself. It is about a fictionalized other character. It's the only song on this countdown or i keep saying countdown it's the only song on this ranking episode and in fact one of the only songs i can think of about the difficulties of fame that is not self-focused but is instead focused on someone else which i like as a perspective narratively uh the song is so shameless in its desire to hook us it has like 17 different choruses there's a part where she goes ow ow Oh, and like, why is that there? There is no reason for it to be there other than Max Martin, who co-wrote and produced the song, decided we just need one more thing to make it an earworm. And there's something so, how to put this, there's something so guileless about this song because Britney Spears didn't yet have the weight of the world on her to really understand what this song is about. Like she did when she made her later songs about the price of fame, like Peace of Me or Circus. Um, and I just find it to be so charming and dumb, and I I just love it, Sarah. And I put it at number two, eight <laughs> points. Okay, well here here's another inversion for you. Um, I <laughs> really enjoy this song, like, but the fact is, this song is a Franken song that is basically like all the same production tricks from "Oops, I Did It Again" and a couple of Backstreet B sides. Mm-hmm. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but like, that's that's what it is. Like, you can hear melody snip line snips. Um, I love that uh, sort of chord progression in the end of the chorus. Um, and talk about it landing differently now. The song, yeah, that she's like, I'm. T- this is happening to a friend of mine, and she's like, basically sending a code with her blinking to like send yeah. help. Yeah, but she there is no sense. And this is I'm forgive me in my experience standard for Britney. There is no sense of relating to what she's singing at all. Um, In this case, I think you can say that it's because she is young and was given this collection of thoughts by Max Martin. And she stood where she was told and sang what she was told. Um. But between the similarity to other hits of hers on the same album, um, the estrangement from the content on the part of the content delivery system is unsettling, given everything that we have learned in the last year or two about Britney's situation. Uh, And it just... That uncanny valley of execution for me this time does not work. Again, I have no kick with factory product. 
the parts of other things from which this is assembled are all good. The the song itself is not the issue. It's just like I'm not able in this case to separate the reality of her imprisonment by fame later from the content of this song and this just this feeling that like this person was in solitary too long and the lights are on but nobody's home like i just can't i can't truly enjoy the song as a song because of this like hall of mirrors feeling about her as a person (laughs) so Mm -hmm. uh yeah number eight two points i don't hate the song i just you know I just went on an upsetting journey with it, and I can't untake it. So, eighth. Sorry. <laughs> and here's the thing: I absolutely understand everything you're saying, and I cannot offer any defense that makes sense of why I love the song. <laughs> uh, like, there's something I don't yeah. know why. Like, the, there's something about this song's shittiness that brings me joy, and that's yeah. not true of every shitty song. Yeah. Like, why do I love the monologue? Hold your butt in tight. I get it. (laughs) Put your butt in. Exactly. Why do I love the monologue from Mike Hunt so much? I don't know. I just do. (laughs) I mean, look, Hunt is a pro. That's all I'm going to say. That's right. So the patrons also agreed with me, shockingly enough, and put this song in second place with eight points. I think that's probably correct. I just like I was attaching more meaning, more meaning so to say, then <laughs> probably I should have to some of this shit. But uh, you know what? These are going to have the force of law, and we're all just going to have to live with it. So That's right. Okay, well, speaking of Mo, now we've got Notorious B.I.G.'s Mo Money, Mo Problems featuring Puff Daddy and Maze. This was a number one hit in the United States during my first semester of college. Mm-hmm. I always associate it with my first semester of college. This and Aqua's Barbie Girl were mm. the soundtracks of many, many stupid so fantastic. Oh, my God. I love that song. <laughs> <laughs> I know I do, too. But those two songs in September, October of 97, when oh, I was yeah. on the freshman dorm hallway, they were always bumping from somebody's room. And everybody liked both of them. And uh, I pulled a clip. So here is Biggie's verse from that song. Okay, so Mm. a couple of things. One, the sample of Diana Ross's I'm Coming Out that provides us the basis of this song is perfectly chosen. Mm -hmm. Uh, The song is really interesting narratively because there is a conflict between the chorus, which says, the more famous and rich that I get, the more complicated my life becomes, and the lyrics that Biggie spits which are about how he's kind of awesome and he's enjoying <laughs> even it when even when people boo him he's like yeah fuck y'all uh-huh yeah i'm the best and i really love that and if this song were just notorious big rapping yes it would oh, be my number man. 1 yeah that said sarah but it is it not, is not. <laughs> there is also a verse from Maze, the least interesting rapper of all time, that yeah. seems to take nine years. It really does. Jesus. Like, what the fuck? How did that happen that he got to have a career? He is charisma free. And the mix is like passive aggressively not helping him either, in my opinion. <laughs> I know. Jesus. And Puffy. then there's Puff Daddy's verse, which also isn't good. 
And once you wade through what feels like 10 hours of that shit, you finally get to the gold in this song. And it's like Notorious B.I.G., his flow. I mean, I don't have to say anything about that. Many people have have explained it. But yes, this song demonstrates why he was so great. And one time when I was in high school, he was in an elevator with me in Nashville and he reeked of pot. And my friend Sam and I thought that was really cool. That is really cool. We were like, oh, shit, that was Biggie. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Would you rank it? But so, so I ended up putting it in fifth place because I I had to split the difference between the first and second parts of the song. (laughs) Fifth Mm -hmm. place, five points. But I will say that the patrons put it in first with nine. Okay, here's my issue. I'm glad you pulled this sample because if we were just if we were ranking these based on like how interesting is this to talk about and how instructive is this as to um how like what different things hip-hop artists are good at and how construction really matters and how collabs i hate that word so much but whatever (laughs) among (laughs) rappers like why do some work and others don't and why do some feel like they're you know three guys in a you know, in an elevator built for two and why does some feel like it's a big party? If we were just ranking it based on like, why does this work? Who are these people? What should they have done differently? It would definitely be number one, but it isn't. And this is the thing you have Puffy who uh, he's not that good a rapper. No. And like he's not interesting, his timbre is not interesting, he's not compelling as a rapper, but as a person who understands on like a bone marrow level who is good, what is cool, and which sample to throw at a problem like his C plus rapping using, you know, just how are we going to throw money at the problem of my talent not being much? Well, mm-hmm. we're going to we're going to outspend and get these pricey samples, and he's always right. Like, he has a, an ear and an eye, but his artistic voice is that, is like branding. Mm-hmm. Like, he's riding around on a fucking um, ski-doo in a tuxedo, f- hawking some, like, artisanal marshmallow vodka. Like, that... All of those words in that order sound fucking ridiculous. And you see this ad and you're like, I'll try that shit. Because he is <laughs> fucking cool looking and he makes things that you're like, this should not work. Oh, okay. Like, he is a packager uh, non pareil Okay? But on this song, it's like, Maze, two weeks later, you finally get to the puffy verse and it's like, who cares? And then Biggie comes in and the whole thing, it's like a change in weather, like clouds part, sun comes down. This is a fucking genius. It gets like my IQ went up when he came on the track and like they should have led with him and just given him the whole thing and told Mace, we'll still pay you, but just go in the parking lot and do whatever it is people do in the parking lot (laughs) like we don't need you (laughs) this song needs narrative terrain but the thing is it doesn't because it's dominated and overshadowed by the sample and the only person with enough juice artistically to compete it with it and win is biggie and they didn't lead with him they didn't give him the whole track there's no narrative terrain that said i am never pissed off to hear this song Ever because it's built perfectly for what it mm-hmm. is. It just is sort of like, oh, right. B- Biggie is the best. And then you sort of get to the end and you're like, that was great. Thanks for saving that track, Biggie. Fuck, I missed that guy. I don't know. A fascinating prospect for discussion. Um, and I have always said this about Puff that I think he's just like, as an aggregator of talent and style, nobody touches him. But this song, this break should be 17 times better than it is, and it could have been, and it isn't. So it's number five, five points. Exactly the same as me. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I want to just reiterate what you said. It's so, so, such a true point that 
if you're going to step to a sample of I'm Coming Out by Diana Ross, which is such a fucking good song, it is actually chemically impossible to be in a bad mood when that song is on. Yeah. You've really got to have something to offer me. And Mays ain't it. No. And I mean, this, like, and there like are said, a lot the, of, the, I could see a lot of hip hop artists hearing that and being like, I'm, I'm just going to get knocked the fuck out <laughs> by that. Yeah. In, like it won't even be a full round. It'll be one swing. Like I'm not, I'm not stepping in there. And Biggie's like, I got this. It's no problem. <laughs> like you're right. I know. You do. And it wasn't. And like you said, for all of its deficiencies, I will never be sorry to hear this song. And I guess in a way, maybe it was clever to put Biggie last because if he was first, who would listen to the end? Yeah. But if you know that Biggie's coming, you're like, okay, I can wade through the first part of this song because I'm going to get to the best part. Yeah. Maybe that's the reason that this song works in a, in a way because if it were Biggie, then the other two, this song, I would listen to it for 90 seconds and turn it off. But mm-hmm. I have to wait for my reward in yeah. this structure. And I I don't think that's, I mean... Puff might not be talented at rapping, like at rhyming, but he know he knew. Yeah, it makes me actually think about the song that he released right around this time that he produced for MC Light, um, "Cold Rock a Party," which uses the sample of Diana Ross's "Upside Down." Mm-hmm. Do you know that song? Yes, I do. Ooh, now talk about someone else who was able to step to the level of the sample. MC Light on that song is so fucking good, and. I, it is another example of Puffy knowing exactly what to do when yeah. he is the one assembling the brand. Yeah. And I just would love to sort of be in meetings and it's like, everybody's putting note cards up on the board and his is like this complete crazy wall of pastiche that everyone's like, who's going to tell him and no one tells him and he does it and it rules. Yeah, ha, exactly. Um, okay. Well, so that, that brings us to another, uh, hip-hop inflected offering on this episode which is rumors the recently released single by lizzo featuring cardi b this is the first song that lizzo has released since becoming a superstar uh you might remember that in january of 2019 we talked about her on this very show before she had blown up so you know you heard it here first sure did Uh, and rumors Spent one week in the top 10. It debuted at number four and then has quickly faded from view. I have to say, Sarah, I understand why it has not stuck around. Mm-hmm. I want it to be better than it is, but I feel Same. like it is choked by Lizzo's resentment for the haters. And I, I wish that this song were better because I like her so much and I think she's so talented. And as so often seems to be the case, Cardi B comes in. And makes the song better. Yeah. And you just think, wow, maybe this should have just been a Cardi B song. I don't know. That's my experience of it. There's something about it where it seems that Lizzo is trying too hard to defend herself. And it yeah. becomes lyrically heavy and musically overly complicated. And then Cardi B just comes in and is like, fuck y'all. My records live in the top ten. I'm amazing. My titties are fake. Bye. Fake ass, fake boobs. Like, yeah. And then she's just like wearing some kind of like body chain exotic dancer thing. She's real pregnant but she's cardi b so she's just like yeah this is another one where the artists are should not be fighting with each other but they kind of are Mm -hmm. um in the sense that like i think you're exactly right like i couldn't quite put my finger on it when i was re-listening to this but lizzo does sound legitimately bitter in a way that she's not harnessing as well she thinks she Mm -hmm. is um and like she has reason for sure but she's not it's not being leveraged as well as it could be and also cardi b just like that is a like that is a star that like you're you know to fight that to fight that pull is very hard and you know the the confidence that this song needs once it arrives in the form of cardi b it's like it's tough it's tough to reset if that makes Mm -hmm. any sense my main problem with it is that everything that's going on around the rhyming sounds cheap and shitty like this it needs a better rhythm line like these Mm -hmm. are strong personalities this just sounds like some fucking pond five trap crap why 
That's disrespectful, in my opinion. And the horns also sound very cheap. Um, pond five. Yeah, pond five. Like, just put the <laughs> pond five thing. That's that would be more interesting. Um, but like, there's a lot to enjoy here. I just want. I just kept ranking like things ahead of it and being like, am I really, am I really putting X ahead of Lizzo and Cardi? Like, I just felt, I felt weird about it. But the fact is like, it doesn't, it doesn't work. Like it wasn't, they should have just gone back to it and been like, this needs to be either much more in this part or much less in this part, or we need to not have Cardi because it just kind of throws everything off. So yeah, I mean, Again, I don't really hate anything on the list, but this was number six. Yeah, points. I think that completely makes sense to put it in sixth place, because like you said, I don't hate this song either. I just want it to be better. Yeah. And one of the traps of making a song about how hard it is to be famous is that you get caught up in your own bitterness and you forget to make good music. Mm hmm. And that, you know, there is something about this kind of song where I think if your producer is like, do you want to maybe pull back on the, you know, on this aspect of it? Like, do you want to be less salty? That that's not going to be something that you can hear because of the nature of the track. Like, that's the whole point of it is to be salty. Right. About haters. But then if someone's like, well, that's a little much, then... It's it's easy to find reasons not to hear that. Yeah. And and yet for all of that, because there are so much there are so many elements of the song that I do enjoy, I still put it in fourth place, mm-hmm. which is probably too high. But, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. So you put it in sixth. I put it in fourth and the patrons put it in fifth. We're all in a line there with rumors. And. That brings us to the final song on today's episode, which I believe you have a clip for, Sarah. I do. Um, there, there were a lot of surprises in this roller coaster ride, and this was one of them. I just, I looked at my rankings at the end and was like, him? There? Okay, that's why they play the games. Anyway, let's hear a clip of Bob Seger's Turn the Page, and then I'm going to talk about my mysteriously high ranking. Well, you walk into a restaurant Strung out from the road And you feel the eyes upon you As you're shaking off the cold You pretend it doesn't bother you But you just want to explode Most times you can't hear them talk other times you can't all the same old cliches is that a woman or a man and you always see my number okay to begin with i will say that um it is easy to forget since all anyone ever hears basically of bob seger anymore is old-time rock and roll yep that he actually did have this nice um sort of groovy molasses chris christopherson voice uh which you really hear in this uh in this verse um i clipped that because that lyric was quite striking to me like this you know life on the road in the vast spaces of the american west and here's this town and like you just you gotta pee and get some coffee and all these you know fuckwads named Dwayne in the back booth are like is that a girl and it's like oh my god like um, but there's something aurally about this that really is really evocative of that sense of like being on a road trip for work in the big unincorporated vastness of the square states that is not, it's not mean or condescending. It just is like a lot of the song is about how fundamentally unsafe it is to be alone and that sort of aspect of the loneliness of the road and Mm -hmm. i can picture this diner that this dude is in 
I know what time of day it is. I know what the weather is. I know what all the other people who are giving him a side eye are wearing. I'm frankly not entirely sure how Bob Seger did that. But I really liked this song a lot and added it to my playlist and think it's really well-crafted, but also not too, it's not too produced. He just like wrote this thing down. He's like, this sucks. Some of the self-pity doesn't wear real well, but I still ranked it number third, number third, number three, seven points. (laughs) And did you know this song before this episode? I... I feel like I had heard it before, but like in the 80s. I mean, it had been decades since I heard this. Because like I said, Bob Seger has like the one or two songs that you still hear, which are frankly not my favorites. And you never hear this one anymore, which is a shame. I think it's good. Because I didn't know this song at all either. And we did a Patreon uh, call for proposals basically about this episode. And it was one of our listeners who suggested that we put this song here. And I am so glad mm-hmm. that that happened because like you, I was really taken in by the storytelling in this song. I yeah. feel like there's a quality of a Cormac McCarthy story here. Yes. Yes. There, And Where, I think it's also that wanted dead or alive is like much more direct and homage to this than I've realized. Cause I hadn't heard the song in 30 years if ever so sorry to interrupt no but yeah you're but you're exactly right that this is exactly the spirit that wanted dead or alive is going for but with the bon jovi excess that we love them for sure but there's a quality of this song that like a cormac mccarthy story evokes somehow like you said vastness and the intimacy of violence yes like yes, somehow yes, you're yes, all yes. alone in a landscape But there's Mm -hmm. that black dot way out there that is going to come and get you. Uh Uh-huh. And I fucking love that. And I think that it really does, even though this song is very specifically about how hard it is to live on the road, it also is about something very big in the American psyche, I think. Mm Mm-hmm. And it is like that you, you walk into a diner and, God, it's not glamorous. You're on a bus. You can't remember the name of the girl that you just were sleeping with. All you want is some coffee and these these yabos in the back are like (laughs) making fun of you and it's so sinister and like all you're trying to fucking do is live your life and and there's some things that's very restrained about the song that i wouldn't have anticipated just looking at the lyrics it never becomes a whale musically yeah i mean it has dynamism and definitely the chorus is quite catchy and there's a lot of passion in the way that he sings it but it never goes to that meatloaf over the top place that yeah. one might expect or could it could imagine. Yeah. And that I find this song to be very haunting in a way that I wasn't anticipating because like yeah. you, all I really knew of Bob Seger was uh old time rock and roll and shakedown from Beverly Hills cop Two. Right. Those and like a rock, you know, like the Ford commercials, like sure. Those songs are not this song and this song is great. And for those of you playing along at home, you might've noticed I haven't yet, named my number one song because it's this wow that is crazy i know i want to tell you if you had told me when i sat down to start this project that the bob fucking seeger song would be my number one i would have been like i would have been like yeah that's a that's a 14 for me dog but yeah and i think (laughs) i may have perhaps ranked it too low but it i mean yeah, it's it's really something. Listeners, seek it out because it's like not what you think it's going to be. And that's the most fun part, I think, of these is like, again, coming in with arms folded and being like, oh, hey, this rules. So, yeah. Totally. It and rules because it has a sense of true crime. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Her birthday's coming up. Uh, the patrons agreed with you, Sarah, and they put it in third place. Huh, okay. And... uh I'm actually ready. I have all of our final rankings ready to reveal to you. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Let's hear it. All right. In ninth place with six points, it's Michael Jackson's Leave Me Alone. Mm -hmm. Sorry, buddy. Yeah. We will. In in eighth place with nine points, but still enjoying a hit television show, is Selena Gomez and the scene with Falling Down. Mm -hmm. In a tie for seventh place with 15 points, 
is both Rumors and Drowned World slash Substitute for Love. Uh-huh. In fifth place with 16 points is Billie Eilish with Everything I Wanted. In fourth place with 18 points is Lucky. And now we're on the podium. Bronze medal, third place, goes to Mo Money, Mo Problems with 19 points. Fair enough. And then we leap up to the silver spot with Billy Joel's The Entertainer at 22 points. Holy shit. And Sarah squeaking out the gold by one point. What the hell? Turn the page is number one. (laughs) Oh my God. I will not turn the page, Mr. Bob Seger. Robert. (laughs) Like anyone who has listened to this show for a long time can agree, I think, with me, Sarah, to say, I can't believe that we have a Bob Seger song at number one. I, and abso- here I can't believe that. Um, I was a little surprised we even consented to talk about Bob Seger, and here <laughs> we are. <laughs> I mean, that, but this is the most wonderful part of this process, seeing what, uh, seeing what the other one is going to say, and Patreon supporters, like, the, the spanner that you can throw in these works sometimes is so fun, so... I know, because truly, if it hadn't been for the patrons, this song wouldn't have made the list, and now it's our gold medalist. Oh, man. And a Madonna song is on the, like, anti-podium at Bob Seger. Okay, well, you know what? Let's, I guess we're turning the page on this uh, episode, but uh, this was really fun. Excellent idea, and thank you for listening, guys. And now I'm going to go, because I've got tickets to see Phantom Casio. Mark and Sarah Talk About Songs is hosted by Mark Blankenship, that's me, and Sarah D. Bunting. That's me. I also edit the podcast, which is a proud member of the Believe Network. Learn more at BLEAV.com. To learn more about us, submit song requests, get a pop chart reading, or buy a Mastis book, visit our website at MarkandSarahTalkAboutSongs.com. You'll also find all of our social media links there, too. That's Mark and Sarah, with an H, TalkAboutSongs.com. And for even more content and access to the Mastas Happy Hour, become a Patreon supporter at Patreon.com slash Mastas. Thanks for listening. Then you say goodbye I watch you walk away Beside the lucky guy Oh, to never, never know The one who loves you so Well, you don't know me Mark Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.